Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Fried fam, you know how much I love keeping it real and sharing true, deep, and dark stories about life and burnout. You also know, if you've been around for a while, that I have never had a quote-unquote real job because I've been an entrepreneur since the day I finished school. And entrepreneurship can be lonely. That's why if you're an entrepreneur or a creative like me, I want you to listen to the Who Made You the Boss podcast with Lindsay Epperly. With deep dives into imposter syndrome, honesty about bank accounts and life drama, and stories about the fallacy of balancing it all, Lindsay and Who Made You the Boss make the world of entrepreneurship more real, more connected, and less lonely. I recommend starting with episode three, all about slowing down for more impact. You can thank me later. Hey, Fried fans, are you ready to beat burnout for good? I want you to join our newsletter for top tips, resources, and, as per usual, a touch of humor delivered straight to your inbox. Plus, when you do that, you'll get our core values exercise, which is your secret weapon to kickstart your burnout recovery and then keep it away long term. Don't wait. Head to bit.ly forward slash core values freebie and start feeling better today. That link will also be in the show notes. Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. All right, everybody. Today I have for you a super fun guest whose name is Leah Steele, and she is the founder of Searching for Serenity, a business focused on mentoring and training corporates and professionals who are struggling with imposter syndrome, burnout, and feeling overwhelmed by their careers. Leah is also a blogger, speaker, and jewelry designer, because why have one career when you can have three? So please let me welcome you so much to this show, Leah. I'm very happy to have you. And as in, you warned me before we get on, so I will warn the listeners, if you are someone who is offended by foul language, this might not be your favorite episode, because we're going to just let them fly. (laughs) today because we both enjoy it. So that's the way it's going to go. So Leah, to get started, could you guide us through what happened to you when you were burnt out? Because the the audience doesn't know this yet, but Leah, before this was a lawyer. This is a big big change. So could you tell us this story? Yeah. I love the way you said lawyer. Like it's, it's a euphemism for so many things, isn't it? Um, (laughs) So as you can tell, probably from my voice, I'm British. Um, I live in England. So there's a really long version of the story that starts when I was about eight years old, but I'll give you the, the shortened version because frankly, it's 
it's long and winding. But I was eight or nine years old and I decided to become a lawyer. Very difficult situation. And when my mum went to a lawyer to try and get some things resolved, divorce, selling houses, things like that, I remember sitting in this lawyer's office and I was sitting in one of these high back wooden chairs at this conference table that I thought was so snazzy and now just seems so quaint. Sitting at this table, watching this lawyer just start to sort everything out. And I suddenly had this kind of realization sweep over me and went, I want to do that. I want to be that person for other people. I want to be able to help. I want to be able to make things better. I want to be able to make sense of the dark. And it was a completely ridiculous, crazy dream because I came from a single parent family. Although my mum worked, we were also reliant on state handouts to keep us above water. My father was an electrician. My grandfather was a plumber and a plasterer. I came from the most blue collar kind of family and nobody in my family had ever been to university. My mum had even left school without any qualifications. It was just crazy, absolutely crazy. But as you'll figure out with me, I don't really let things like sanity or the way the world works kind of stop me. So (laughs) my entire life became about becoming this lawyer. So I did my degree. I did my postgraduate degree. I was called to the Bar of England in Wales in 2007 and kept going, kept going, kept going. And everything had become this all-encompassing, I need to be this person. And of course, an eight-year-old has no damn clue what a lawyer does, apart from sit in an office and have paper files and apparently nice suits. And snazzy desks. Oh, oh, very snazzy desk. It was hilarious because that law firm, I actually shared this this weekend just before we were recording this. I shared a letter from that law firm because afterwards I was so impressed. I wrote to them and asked, uh, do you work experience with them? And I applied a year in advance. So this was a tiny little high street law firm with three partners and an associate. And I still have that letter. It was um, sent to me 21 yeah 21 years ago and 20 years ago this month I started my legal career with that work experience so yeah so it's it's got a lot of memories for me but everything had become this all-encompassing I had to be this person I didn't really know who this person was I just knew that wherever I was at any given moment I wasn't it yet whether it was I wasn't qualified, I wasn't working in an area of law that I thought I should have been, I wasn't earning enough money. And there were a lot of knocks along the way. There are a lot of crazy stories that gen- genuinely I share them with people are like, are you sure? Are you sure that happened to you? Are sure you didn't dream it? <laughs> but yeah, I, I was working really, really hard to try and become qualified. It's this really weird situation. I don't know if it's the same where you are, but over here you can do all of your study and still not end up doing the job that you set out to do because you have to get kind of like an apprenticeship or like, you know, somebody has to give you the golden key. Um, And it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening for me. So I was working in law as an unqualified lawyer and working second and third jobs on top of it just to pay the bills because the pay was really fucking shit. And, you know, it was constantly, I don't have enough money or I'm not close enough to where I need to be. And the overwork just kept rising. I eventually qualified as a lawyer in 2012. Um, so I was, what, 28 at that point. So it wasn't like I'd worked for decades and decades, but it felt like it. Yeah, but you're 28, I, five years is 15. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was just, it felt like, you know, it was always on the horizon. For years, it had been a carrot that had been put in front of me by employers. Like, oh, yeah, we'll help you qualify. And then they didn't. Or, oh yeah, we'll help you qualify. And it took two and a half years to get the details pinned down and me going, I will leave. But 
yeah, it took forever or it felt like it. By the time I qualified, I sat down one day and worked out that in paid overtime and second jobs alone, so working at a cinema, working at a clothes shop, I'd taken on a second job with my main employers where I worked 40 hours a week to um, kind of help them evenings and weekends. So my, my usual weekly schedule would look like I did a nine to five, but I would also do five to eight, two or three evenings a week and a 10 to four on a Saturday and then sleep on Sunday and do it all over again. And I worked out that I'd, I'd done something like an extra three and a half years of full-time employment on top of my day job in the seven or eight years it took me to qualify. So I was consistently working a minimum of 60 hours a week for nearly a decade. I sat down and realized that. I was like, oh, it's no wonder I'm tired. Didn't change anything. Didn't change the damned thing. But slowly it was just becoming more and more and more. I took on another job where I was commuting and I was commuting three hours a day. I am not a good traveler at the best of times. There was a week, you know, it was getting ridiculous. I was doing this really intense job. When I qualified as a lawyer, I was working in mental capacity law, essentially. I was ferreting around in the records of people who had passed away, figuring out whether they had capacity to write the wills that they did and helping families sort it out. And I'd also taken on a new specialism that I taught myself, essentially. Went to one course, created this new specialism and started setting up a department around it and was pitching for work and doing marketing events and delivering training to other lawyers and I had a regular magazine article in a, um, a monthly magazine for private client lawyers. And I did quotes for national press. And I was spinning so many plates. And looking back, I, I think that's crazy. But then I also look at my clients and they do exactly the same stuff. Yeah, people are doing this all the time. This is a very relatable story. It's, it's what you have to do, isn't it? I think we have this idea that I'm going to pitch up, I'm going to do my qualification, I'm going to get qualified. And it will just work. And instead, when we start working, it feels like we're constantly on shifting sands. You know, you have to do these extra things in order to get a pay rise of 2% a year or a bonus of less than your monthly mortgage payment for one month. Right, right. So there's a lot that goes with it. And the thing that I realized looking back was it wasn't people doing this to me. Every time there was an opportunity, I was like, oh, me, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Like me, like me, please, please like me. Um, And so it just became more and more and more. And we got to a point in December 2014, so I'd only been qualified for two years, but I've been working for a decade. My mum had been in and out of hospital and we'd begun to realise what was wrong with her. There was no treatment. And there was this week, two weeks before Christmas. I had a client, uh, client conference signed up, a mediation. Um, I had another couple of meetings. So I ended up in four days working Monday to Thursday. I worked out I did 50 hours of work. It's more like 60 if you include the commuting. There were days where I was on the train at 5 a.m. and didn't get home till midnight. Right. And I just kept going and going. Took the Friday off work so I could relax, avoid the company Christmas party because I was being crabby to everybody at this point, shockingly. Yeah. Um, and just start my Christmas shopping, you know, call my mum. And at six o'clock that night, I had a text message from one of my colleagues saying, we've been let go early. We're getting rid of the Christmas party. I'm sorry you won't be here, but we'll have a drink for you and I'll tell you all the gossip tomorrow. And 20 minutes later, there was a knock at the front door and it was the police because my mum had been found dead that morning. Oh my God. Yeah. Two weeks before Christmas. And 
three weeks later, I was back at my desk dealing with the recently bereaved who were in disputes with their family whilst taking one day off a week to clear out my childhood home. But there was a period of, you would think, right, you would think the knock at the door would be the, oh my God, and then her life fell apart and then she rebuilt. That's what it would be in any Hollywood story, right? Yeah. My prince would have swept in at that moment. My prince had already swept in. It was fine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Prince, check. Yes, prince charming, tick. But it didn't. It took me another six months to properly fall apart. And I really ended up... really important. It's, it's crazy, but it's what we do because not one of us gets up in the morning and is like, mm, how do I feel? Mm, I've got a little bit of muscle tension. I'll go back to bed for the day. It's like, grit your teeth, lean into it, as Cheryl Sandberg tells us, and crack on. Yeah. And, and I actually, think that what you said is, is something that I've seen in patients over the years, many, many, many times that they'll say, you know, but I'm not particularly stressed right now. Like nothing's really happening. And I'm like, what about the yeah. past 18 months? They're like, well, you know, my mother died. I've been overworking. My father was hospitalized. You know, I took a trip and then it got canceled and I ended up being stranded in India for, you know, two weeks with <laughs> no water. Yeah, and, and you listen to these yeah. things and then I have to stop and sort of like play the reel back for them and say, okay, so this is what you just told me the last year and a half of your life looked like. You might not be feeling those things today, but they were bound to roll up into a giant tumbleweed and knock you over at some point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly what was happening. Um, I, I got almost to the end of the financial year, was signed off sick for two weeks. This is the absolute kicker. I got signed... I was signed off sick by my doctor for two weeks on the basis, come back, we'll see if you should be going back to work because I wasn't sleeping. I had chronic IBS. I was feeling nauseous all the time. I'd had a viral infection, bacterial infection. I had sinusitis. You know, my body was just going, sit the fuck down. Yeah. And I wouldn't do it. I got signed off sick on the Monday morning and I went into work and I told them I'd been signed off sick and I was going to take the next two weeks off work, but I wanted to clear my desk first. And it got to the point my boss was just looking at me like, you are a crazy woman. I'm going to have you removed from the building if you don't leave by 4 p.m. So that's fine. I will get it done. So I went and cleared my desk on the first day of my sick leave. Went home for two weeks to try and get my shit together because we can all get our lives together in two weeks. Of course. Yeah, it's a very yeah. reasonable timeline. Yeah. If not less. I mean, really, 48 hours should have done it. Should have, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and two thirds of the way through my sick leave, I checked my bank account because I've had a text message that says my mortgage payment has bounced. Uh, my employers were not paying me my time off sick because quote, I'd had too much time off that year. What with, you know, my mother dying and being the only person to sort out her estate and having had a whopping three weeks of work for that. And I just sat there on the floor in the lounge, crying my eyes out thinking, what the hell have I done? One, because I thought, I can't ever go back there. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too ashamed. I'm too angry with them. I'm going to cut someone. You know, <laughs> all the, all the reasons I've got I'm going to cut someone. <laughs> um, and then on the other hand, I was like, what the fuck have I done with my life that this is what happens? That this that is when the result. I, yeah. yeah. That I've, I've worked 60, 70, 80, 90 hour weeks. I've done days where, you know, I got up at 5 a.m. and drove to a... Oh, this network it wasn't a networking event it was like a uh I don't know if you guys have like a country show like a town and country show no um, tell us about that we you know Americans love this British shit oh and it, well this is British as hell drive <laughs> to the middle of Aztec nowhere no it's not Aztec nowhere but it is the middle of nowhere you don't get any phone signal 
in the middle of Wales for a farmer's show. So this is because agriculture is big in Wales and yeah. I was working with a firm where we did a lot with agricultural clients. We'd show up to these events. So we were in a, a big marquee thing at this huge, and I mean huge, farmer's show. Thousands and thousands of people and pens of sheep being shown and you could buy your shotguns, which is the only place in the UK I've ever seen a shotgun in real life. Um <laughs> or any kind of gun that wasn't attached to a fairground, you know, <laughs> there we go round thing. Yeah, um, yeah. That shoots water at a, at a target. Yeah, you know, to win a duck or something. Yeah. Um, and this massive event going on that we went to, so it was ridiculous heat. I'm ginger and pale, and I don't cope with heat well, in a marquee with no air conditioning, massive humidity, and I got up at 5 a.m. to drive three and a half hours there. You're hating life at- right now. Yeah, I got home at 8 p.m. and it's like 6 a.m., get up, do it again. And I sat, so, you know, this, I'd broken down completely. I'm sat there on the floor thinking, what the hell has my life come to that it doesn't matter how much I overwork, it doesn't matter how much I overperform and beg people to love me, that at the end of the month, I can't get my mortgage paid because, oh, you know, I I had a breakdown, even though I work with clients with mental capacity issues all day long. Yeah. It felt so wrong to me. So that was my first fuck the shit moment. Yeah. It should have been six months before my mum died, but you know. No, well, or, or I'm, no, I'm it should happen. You know, I mean, you can learn what you can learn when you can learn it. It doesn't, unfortunately, one of the things I've learned about burnout is it never fucking works on my schedule. No, and survival mechanisms are strong within all of us. That's how we get to burnout. I say to my clients again and again, people who give a shit don't, you know, it's only people who give a shit that burn out. The people who don't give a shit don't ever burn out because the stakes were never high enough to begin with. Well, and um, something that you've said a couple of times already in this conversation is something that is really crucial to the work that I do. And, you know, doing all these things so that all these people love me. Yes. Yeah. Imposter syndrome and people pleasing. And people Again. pleasing. People pleasing is the core of everything that I teach. Yeah. Because... Yeah. God, we just, we give and we give and we give for all the wrong reasons. We convince ourselves that we're doing it for the right reasons. We're quote unquote, just trying to help. And why doesn't everybody appreciate Then we get resentful because Mm -hmm. they're not responding to our help the way that we want them to, which is the help that they never asked for and probably (laughs) don't need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's nothing like making a relationship transactional to bring it down to its needs. We're transactional and or codependent. Yes. You know? Oh, there's a lot of that, definitely. A ton of it. There's a ton of it. But being in that place where you feel like your value and your inherent worth as a person is only visible when you are paying out energetically in massive, massive amounts more than you have in your energetic bank. Yeah. Is going to get you burnt out every time. Every single time. Yeah. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. 
You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. So, yeah, so back to the <laughs> crying on the floor of the lounge. Yeah, yeah, let's go that. Back. Let's go that. That was four years ago now. And that could have been energetically, it feels like three decades ago. Yeah. Because everything has changed since then. That was May, yeah, May 2015. So four years ago, just gone. Yeah. Um, and I started making changes. And I did the thing, we can only ever work within our understanding and you know what we've experienced before so my response was fuck the shit I'm gonna get a new job um so I did (laughs) that day pretty much got a new job right I'm working for a nice little local law firm that's five minutes down the road I won't have to do the travel I can go home for lunch I can walk my own dog and let's let's try that it's gonna be jolly it was terrible um you know when you walk into a room and just know you don't fit yep day one absolutely day one but it was that situation of I don't feel like I can cope here I don't have the language to discuss with people what's going on I just need to get out give me any escape route so I had my escape route I got on the (laughs) on the boat and realized the boat had a great big hole in it so I started thinking outside of the box which is actually far more difficult to do than it sounds and I've been seeing people I think we all have somebody on Facebook who pops up with a sponsored post saying something like, do you hate your job? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't hate my job. This is one You're of like, the things I never hated my job. <laughs> my iPhone um, is listening I- to my conversations again. <laughs> yeah, always. It's before we realized that this was happening as well. Yeah. Um, and so I saw somebody that was saying about, you know, leaving your job to have a freedom business and working online. I was like, hey. I can do that with some of the skills I've got as a lawyer. Let's do that. So we'll start working with her. And a couple of sessions in, we're on a group call and she's like, Leah, you don't care about this thing that you're trying to do, this legal career spin out that you're trying to create. What is it that you do care about? And I was like, I genuinely don't know. No one's ever asked me that before and I never stopped to think about it. No one's ever cared because everybody has that bit on their CV where we say what we do outside of work. And I can bet you all of the money in my bank account, you probably want something better than that. Um, (laughs) I can bet you anything that everybody listening to this has on their CV that they like watching films or going to the theater. They like reading, traveling and some kind of sport. And I can honestly say that at least four out of five of those are bollocks. Absolute rubbish. Um, You know, I used to have theater and film on my CV. And at that point, I couldn't have told you the last time I'd been to the theater. I think it was about eight years beforehand. (laughs) Um, Because nobody cares. It's about what you can do for your job rather than whether you're a well-rounded human being who isn't going to murder people at the end of the day. (laughs) So I started wondering what is it that I care about? And then paying attention to what, what are the things, there are a few of them as you can imagine, what are the things that I can't stop ranting about if somebody brings it up? Right. And one of them was the, just the absolute state 
that so many women in her at work, so how many women I had seen leave their careers or have to make the choice between having a happy home life and having a career or who just couldn't keep sacrificing. And early on in my career, I thought they were weak or that I could do it better. Or I was smarter than them or I just wouldn't make some of the choices they'd made. And then I was sitting on the floor of my lounge crying. Um, so that's where I started. And I started paying attention to why is it that we struggle? Why is it that we don't have a work-life balance? Why is it that, for example, law in the UK, flexible working is almost seen as like you're less than. If you want to work less than five days a week, if you want to work from home occasionally, it's like, well, why? Why? You should want to be here all the time. And so I started talking about that. And that's where Searching for Sanity really developed from. I just spent a couple of months blogging and thinking about what I was sharing and what my experiences were. And the key themes that came out of it were burnout. Yep. Very familiar with that one. Imposter syndrome. Ding, ding, winner. Yeah. And just this constant state of feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, never on top of the workload. But for people in particular who did love their careers or do still love their careers and want to love them again, those people who have those epic ninja days where they get everything done and everything goes well, and they feel really proud of themselves, but they can't remember the last time it happened. And that's where I started. For the last four years, I've been researching, developing, adding to, and working with women from UK, Europe, US, just getting deeper into it and asking them, what are your boundaries? What do you say no to? What are the, the points at which you'd say, no, I'm sorry, this is, this is a no, I'm leaving in any work situation? And those questions are very difficult to answer for a lot of women. And a lot yeah, of men they, we, we all know Simon Sinek loves to say, like, you need to know your why. I tell, mm. I, I tell my patients, you need to know your no. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. You need to know your no, because if you don't know where you end, where your energy ends, you'll, again, burn out every time. I, I found a blog post uh, on your website that I <laughs> absolutely loved which is called how to avoid burnout or why most burnout advice is bullshit yes <laughs> it's amazing and I think that exactly what you wrote um before we get on this call Leah was saying it's interesting because I think we come at burnout from different perspectives I think we might use different words but I don't think we come from different perspectives at all and this is why I cannot stand and I write about this regularly on my blog I cannot stand the positive thinking culture that allows us to spiritually bypass all the bullshit that's happening in our lives, pretending that it doesn't bother us because we are above that. Yeah, I have been looking for what the psychological term for spiritual bypass might be, you know, a, a psychological comparator. Because spiritual bypass, it's something that I think people understand in the spiritual communities online, anybody who is more heavily into the woo. But you try and explain that to somebody who isn't heavily into the woo or is so far into get shit done on the daily, just keep going, that they think, I don't have time for that. Well, it's, fa it's false positive thinking. Yeah. Um, and it's, but it's exactly the same situation. That actual yes. blog, the blog about why burnout advice is bullshit was because an influencer on LinkedIn commented that they were going to write a blog about burnout because burnout was real because I hadn't taken a day off in six weeks and I looked at them and thought oh snook them seriously yeah that's you know, not it it's not fucking bullshit no it's, it just drives me nuts 
burnout has become a cool word. Yes. Burnout has become like, I'm so burned out. No, you're tired or you're bored yes. or yes. you're frustrated because you're you not getting the outcome. I have a yes. blog post that's called, are you burnt out or do you need vacation? It's not the same thing. No. Burnout is when you take that vacation and log into your emails 12 times a day to the point that your boss threatens to remove your email access because you're emailing from the rooftop pool of your Gran Canaria hotel saying, but have you done this? But have you done this? But have you done this? Or you you allow yourself the vacation, you take the time off and you come back in and you feel like you never fucking left. Yes, exactly. And the, the component that I think is really important is something that you mentioned in your story is this idea that you know, you were having IBS, you were having viral infections, you were having bacterial infections, you were having sinus infections, your body was literally breaking down. So Mm. in the research that I've done, there's a huge amount of research that supports the fact that your body breaks down, your immune system breaks down, your brain changes structure, your stress management centers don't work as they're supposed to. We are not talking about something that you're just thinking or feeling. This is that people say that, that, um, there's a word, you know, psychosomatic, that there's Mm. an issue in your body that is, is mostly quote unquote in your head. And psychosomatic is actually a real thing. When you have an issue in your body that it comes from a mental place, there is a physiological change in your body, which actually means that that thing is, is really happening. So whether or not it's from your head or from like an injury outside, it doesn't really matter. It's real either way. But more importantly for me, I have flipped that word around. And the word that I use in my blog posts and on my Instagram is somatopsychic. Mm. Things can happen in the body that then have an effect on our ability to function mentally as well. Yeah, You know, it can work both ways. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I, so I made a choice very early on when I realized actually burnout is something I can't stop talking about. Um, imposter syndrome is something I can't stop talking about. I want to help people to enjoy and thrive in their careers instead of feeling like they have to choose between a poor life or a wealthy unhappiness. And as I started really getting into that, I made a very clear decision. I was going to carry on working in law. And from the time I launched Searching Serenity, I worked a full year across two different law firms before I then decided, right, that's it. I'm taking a step back from law and I'm putting more of the energy into searching serenity. I already had clients by that point because I wanted to prove to myself that it can be done, that you can manage reverse burnout, change your lifestyle without overhauling it, without drinking. I'm sorry, I keep joking about green juices and pond scum, but (laughs) I used to take green smoothies to work and put them on the desk and everyone would be like, the fuck is that in that bottle? It looks like pond scum, tastes like pond scum, but it's supposed to do something good for me, so I'll drink it. I was not good at those recipes. But I made this really clear decision I was going to do it because I wanted to prove that you can do it and I wanted to walk the talk. But what then ended up happening, because of course these things always happen, I moved to a role where I was, in the UK it's called a court of protection deputy. So the way to explain it to anybody in America is Britney Spears conservatorship. (laughs) Imagine that happened but it was more private. So a court that anonymized her. Right. And instead of her dad being appointed, it was professional. That's what I did. Okay. So I managed the financial affairs of about two dozen people who had severe traumatic brain injury, either as a result of brain injury, road traffic accident, accident at work, criminal injury. And as a result of those injuries and the claims that are arising, they each were worth between one and 15 million. 
And so I would do everything from buying their nappies, employing their carers, firing their family members when they stole their money, checking whether they had capacity to consent to sex or marriage, arranging everything. You know, I was their full life admin. And I was doing that job whilst I was creating Search for Serenity. And the amount of parallels I had sitting there in multidisciplinary meetings with neurorehabilitation experts and neuropsychologists and neuropsychiatrists and lawyers who've been doing this for 30 years and going, these people with traumatic brain injuries are exhibiting exactly the same symptoms as my clients with burnout. Exactly. The coping mechanisms that they used, I lifted quite a few of them and employed them with clients because when you're burning out, your attention to detail wanes your ability to retain information your focus it's exactly the same as a frontal lobe injury yeah well Um, physically the the brain the frontal cortex in the brain as a result of long-term chronic stress becomes physically smaller yeah like if it actually shrinks so there is brain damage yeah and my background in particular one of the crazy stories that happened was Whilst I was doing my postgraduate degree, my father died. My father and I had been estranged for a very long time by the time he died, but he had suffered from early onset dementia. So for me, sitting there, on the one hand, working with people who are chronically stressed, on the other, having realized that when I was writing letters before action, bringing all of the case together, it's, I think people underestimate how creative a lawyer's job is or any professional job is, because you're usually creating something from nothing. It's pure alchemy. Yeah. But bringing together everything in a case to write a letter for action at 10 a.m., I couldn't do it. I kept sitting there looking at the computer. I couldn't do it. I'd had four coffees. Nothing was working. I ate a bag of sweets. My brain started working. Right. That's how chronically exhausted I was. That I yeah. needed to mainline sugar for my brain, which is fueled by carbohydrates, to yeah. start working. I did the same exact thing. Same exact <laughs> Brilliant one is, it, it was Percy Pigs, which anyone in the UK knows they are <laughs> adored a universally adored sweet, but sitting there ripping the ears off of a cartoon pig um, in sugar form at 10 a.m. is a horrifying state for anyone to be in, just to well, be able to do your job. Yeah, absolutely. And and you you do need it. And so this is, uh, it's so important. And I want to say, read something that you wrote on this blog that I think oh, no. people need to hear. I think it's important. Okay. And you say, most people think the opposite of burnout is energized, happy, a stock photo image of a woman with beautiful white teeth, boobs that jiggle, and a stomach that doesn't, running down the beach in the sunshine. It's not. The opposite of burnout is resilient. The opposite of burnout is about being you, completely you, minus a bit of the self-damaging behaviors, and plus the word no in a slightly more frequent basis. I'm sorry, that's not sexy at all, is it? <laughs> it's not. And but it's true. So many people, because I did this, I absolutely did this. I realized a year before my mum died that I was burning out. I didn't know what that was. I didn't have the language for it then. Thank God the World Health Organization has actually developed uh, yeah. a definition for burnout now because all of a sudden people are like, oh, burnout to syndrome, burnout is a occupational disease and I kept reading these magazine articles going you got it wrong that's not what it is but yeah mind. I know I read I know and it's based on Christina Maslach's research and they they took the three top factors that she uses the physical and emotional exhaustion number one the second one being the cynical the cynicism and uh, detachment and then the last one the lack of feeling a lack of impact and those are the the, the definitions that they're for those of you who don't know I'm not teaching this to Leah I know she knows these <laughs> I am teaching, I am saying this for the benefit of, of the group. Yeah. The World Health Organization has adopted 
the definition of burnout that was created by burnout researcher um, who holds a PhD. Her name is Christina Maslach. She's very impressive. I have read a lot of her work and she's done a crazy amount of work on it. But because the first one, for instance, is physical and emotional exhaustion, that basically covers anything from IBS to bipolar disorder. Like we're, we have not really quite figured out, we have a definition, but we really have not quite figured out how to really talk about it because of the fact that for each person, depending on what their previous circumstances were, what their previous lifestyle was, what their previous structure was, how their parents ate and spoke to them, and all of these other factors, burnout was going to present mm. them differently. So I think one of the reasons that burnout is coming out now as such a big thing is because we are finally getting to the place where we're doing more individualized medicine and we're not as attached to, you know, a list of three things that define a disorder. Yeah. I've seen this in action because as a mental capacity lawyer, one of the things that we used to use quite a lot was something called a mini mental state examination. Yeah. Now I, oh my God, I laughed until I cried and I'm going to get political now. I'm sorry. Half the readership, I was going to say readership, half the people listening have now switched off um, <laughs> because mini mental state examination is literally a checklist. Yeah. It's, are you oriented in time and place? Do you know who the president prime minister is? And a couple of years ago, when Donald Trump's medical evaluation came out and a big song and dance was made about he was completely mentally healthy, it was the mini mental state examination. Right. Um, and of course, as somebody who's worked with it, I'm sitting there going, that's not, that's, oh my God, no, this that's is a minimum standard. Yeah. It's a minimum standard. And, you know, I've seen, I've genuinely worked with cases where people have scored 12 out of 20 on the mini mental state examination who couldn't remember what to do with toilet paper after they used it so hung it up around their bathroom um, it, but it's but you know it's so the idea that one equates to the other but i think we all look for black and white a year before my mom died i remember sitting in the toilets again and again and again googling what is burnout how do i cure burnout and i kept finding the same articles that talked about priests burning out and the lack of empathy yeah. Okay, that's one thing. But all the advice was change your diet, try to relax. Telling a type A lawyer who spent her entire life in survival mode how just try to relax is a little bit um, ineffectual, should we say? It's a little bit rude, I think, because you're not yeah. actually talking to the person that's sitting in front of you. Like it's it's, it's yeah, it's, it's totally so, ignoring who you are as a person. Yeah. And it's so facile that we think I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll just do hopscotch. I'll just jump into these three boxes, turn around, jump back, and everything will be fine in my life. I want the, is it the red pill or the blue pill? I can never remember which one it is. Matrix um, <laughs> references. Oh. Yeah, we'll call it purple. Um, but you know, we want a pill. We want a quick fix solution. We want to press a button and it will be okay again. And I remember just crying in the toilets at work, and I used to do this thing where I'd fold a tissue. And I would put it directly on the waterline of my eye above my lashes. Yeah. Because if the tears were soaked up directly from my eyes and I hadn't cried down my face, then, you know, obviously I hadn't cried. So it didn't count. Really. And nobody would know. <laughs> but I remember just sitting there thinking, how do, I, how do I resolve this? How do I change this? And that's the biggest thing that I've been trying to focus on. And I sometimes get lost in it, but come back to it. I just want to tell people that, it doesn't mean the end of your career. It doesn't mean the end of your life. It doesn't mean that you have to go and quit your job, sell your house and go and live in a mud hut in Bali, unless you really want to. If, uh, yeah, unless that's you. what you need, which is fine. Yeah. 
if that's what you choose, that's different. But particularly with burnout, it's like being perpetually backed into a corner with a, you know, a big beastie, some kind of tiger or lion in front of you. And you could run away, you could get out of it, you could respond, but you feel like anything that you do is going to make it worse. And and so it's just easier to stay in this corner here and keep going. And I have so many people who say to me, because I have had a rather weird and wonderful life um, in the first 35 years of it, God knows what I'm going to do for the next 35 (laughs) God. But so many people say to me, oh, I understand why you burned out. You've had this happen or that happen. Or, you know, your mum died. So it made sense that you burned out. How can I burn out when I'm doing, you know, a, a job and I'm married with kids and I'm going, okay, when was the last time you slept eight hours a night? When was the last time that somebody said thank you to you at work? When was the last time that you did a job and you didn't go home and think, I could have done that better and I've got 50 more things to do tomorrow and I'll just log into my emails after dinner? We need to stop making it about catastrophe and make it about every day. You've got the choice to live. Yeah. Yeah. Every day you've got the choice to live a little better or live a little worse. And most people are choosing the live a little worse option by default. Right. Right. And then you said in this blog post also, so instead I help you figure out why you're checking your email so much. What don't you Mm. trust? What do you think you have to turn? Why do you think you have to turn the world by yourself? Yeah. Right. This, this falls into very much the type A personality. And so, and this is, One of the things that I have a little bit of a bone to pick with, I I love this question and I think it's important. And also burnout in my research, one of the things that I found is there is a certain amount of it that is internal and controllable by us and a certain amount of it that is external and not controllable by us. Yeah. Right. So this is when, you can make changes and one of those changes might need to be that you have to quit your job and go work somewhere else because the environment that you were in lends itself to that for you. Yeah. Right. Having a lack of autonomy in an office is one of the signs having honestly having like really bad lighting in Mm -hmm. an office is one of the things that leads to burnout. So if you have a place that's not focused on creating a burnout resilient culture within the corporation, within the job, within the company, Mm. then sometimes part of the, part of it is you do have to change that because you cannot combat the energy of the entire world. Exactly. My point is that I see people quit because they don't think they have any other option. <clears throat> or right. and they may or may it's not pushed to a, yeah or because it's just pushed to such an extent yeah. that they see no other option and that was one of the reasons why for me I worked I mean I did I changed my employer as I was setting up searching for serenity and I did have a little bit more autonomy it came with some side effects definitely but you know I did not move to some kind of free range you know pasture fed version of law it was the same strip lighting, you know, internal desks, sitting at a monitor 12 hours a day, being attached to a mobile phone and traveling around the country. What I, the biggest thing that I want to help people understand is you have to, or you get to make informed choices and quitting your job because it's accumulated and accumulated and accumulated until like I was, you're sitting on the floor crying, going, how could I ever go back? That's six months too late, six years too late sometimes. Getting to the point where you can do as much as you can within yourself 
know that you are getting healthier, know that you have control over certain aspects, and then being able to very clearly identify what is outside of your control and whether that is something that you can tolerate for the long term. That's a very different proposition yes. from what yes. I see a lot. Yeah. And yes. I, you know, I get a, a message a week on LinkedIn from somebody going, oh my God, I love your work. I've been reading all your blogs. I quit my job today. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I go, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely am 150% right there with you. And the, the word that you're talking about, the thing that you're, that you're floating around is resiliency, increasing yeah increasing your stress management skills, increasing your, your the amount of resilience you have, which which in my practice I call bounce back ability. Yes. Increasing your bounce back ability so that you're at this place where you can actually know where the energy leaks are happening, where you're overgiving and how, where you can pull back, which things are actually affecting you. And just like you said, what are you able to accept and allow to be a part of your life and what are you not? But you can't make that decision from a burnt out brain with a diminished frontal cortex because you're even, your, your stress management system, your limbic system is not working properly. And also, in addition to that, the, your frontal cortex is, is responsible for logical thinking, right? So you're, you're not as able to think logically as you were before. So it's not a great time to make that decision, you know? No. And I used to sit there, you know, we had people when I was working as a medical capacity lawyer, managing affairs for people, you know, everything that they did was not scrutinized in the bad way, but reviewed. They were some of the most supervised, assisted people I've ever met with carers left, right and center and medical reports about can they do this or can they reason this? Can they understand this and make an informed decision? And I kept sitting there in awe thinking, you take this to any given person on the street and I don't know if they could pass that test. Yeah. You know, I don't know if the mum who is working five days a week and desperately trying to do the school run to the after school clubs, knowing the kids are already exhausted, shoving a piece of white toast in her gob and then checking into her emails after her kids have gone to sleep and working till midnight, which a lot of my clients do. Yeah. I don't know if they can make some of these more <laughs> um, detailed Nuanced choices. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It's so important. But that goes by the by. As somebody that I follow on LinkedIn a while back referred to law in particular as having become factory work for brains. This expectation that we'll go in, sit down, do eight to 12 hours, go home, that there's never any peaks or troughs in our performance, that we shouldn't be impaired or impacted by anything. And it rang so true for me because... It's this constant presenteeism. It's this constant showing up physically. Your brain is elsewhere. <laughs> your brain is still in bed, sitting at your desk and just scrolling and scrolling and responding to the most inane, um, stupid or simple emails because you have to do something. You have to show you're doing something, but everything else is just too, yeah, so you're too with Productivity. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it's one of the things that I'm... Yeah, I'm really focused on. I love it so much. What is, can you tell us what happens in your mastermind? So I, my mastermind's a little bit different. So I call it the Resilience Academy. Um, it, it was called the Serenity Spirit Mastermind um, until recently. And I realized that we as a group, because they've been with me, most of the people, almost all of the people in there have been there with me for two years, because it's about 
long-term maintenance and improvement. It's about the tiny tweaks as opposed to the radical life overhaul that everybody seems to want. Again, it's deeply unsexy. But the Resilience Academy in particular, it's about being able to have a safe space to go to share, to be able to talk to people without feeling like, you know, Sheila from accounts is going to stab you in the back if she catches you crying in the toilets or any of those kinds of things. I do weekly live trainings and it's on random and disparate topics from actual resilience management, self-esteem, to how to deal with appraisals, to we have a book club and Brene Brown features very heavily. Um, yep. There's a lot of upcoming texts around radical candor, um, you know, the idea of being very honest, but also yep. caring very deeply and how that changes the way we communicate at work, the way that we deal with stress. But it's really about all of the skills that we were never taught. Because as kids, we learn language, we learn how to write, we learn how to tie our own shoelaces. Nobody says to you, well, one day you're going to go to work and there's going to be somebody who does something that you're uncomfortable with and you have to carry on working with them or make the decision about what you're going to do about that or find the right person to go and speak to. These are all incredibly nuanced topics that we are just expected to know. We're just expected to have resilience. We're just expected to know how to deal with that client who keeps making advances to you or that client who, God, you know, so many of them. People um, just already filled that in. You said that client who, and we went dot, 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 and everybody yeah. just said in their we minds who that client have, was. There's oh, there's always some of them, right? Yeah. Um, and I've I've certainly worked with, I've worked some brilliant people. I actually have some of my legal clients are still connected to me now, even after I've left law and love what I'm doing now because we connected on such a human level. But there were also so many people who uh, were very difficult to deal with. And we're not taught how to deal with difficult people. We're not taught how to manage your energy when you've got massive competing demands. We're not taught how to switch off. We never needed to know how to switch off before because we didn't have cell phones until 2007. Like uh, smartphones, you know? Yeah. I mean, my, it just shows how quickly it changes. And this is one of the things I do to remind people. My mother left school at 15 with no qualifications, worked in office jobs her whole life. She worked from home for a very long period of time. She would work from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. every day. That's, you know, the the method I grew up with. It's amazing that I burned out, really. Um, (laughs) But, you know, she worked in an office environment. It was not, God, she's going to come back and haunt me for saying this, but it wasn't complex work. She wasn't having to weigh up the the relative cost benefit of, do I employ this family member or do I get a professional that's going to charge more? But have a better rapport or do this. It wasn't this constant grind that it is yeah. with so many of our jobs. Right. Her, her mother left school. I have no idea if my grandmother has any certificates. My grandmother has never worked. She was a housewife. She had three children. She ran oh, she house. worked. She, no, house. she didn't. No. Uh, yeah, as in, in she house. didn't have a paid employment. Yeah, she didn't have a paid um, employment. She worked. Yeah. <laughs> and so she says to me, you know, oh, I used to struggle so much, you know, when your granddad came home and he'd do this. And I, I kind of look at her and I'm like, we could be from different planets. Yeah. I know that, for example, my grandparents, when I was in law, never understood what I did. If you say contentious probate to most people, they don't get it. But I was sat at a family dinner and my aunt turned to me. She was like, oh, I hear you've qualified as a solicitor. Yes. She was like, what is it you do? Because they don't explain it very well. Um, and of course they didn't. We lived in completely different worlds. And it's just so different. Two generations, yeah, 60 years between us, and yeah. Yeah. the world has changed completely yeah. on its head. Massive. And 
how are we supposed to deal with that? How are we supposed to catch up? And how, how are we supposed to know what we're doing? Skills? Yeah. And how are we supposed yeah. to learn these skills when the skills that we need now didn't even exist and were totally unnecessary? Yeah, exactly. Where, My where gosh. The things we learned in school are not the things that we need in life. No. And God, we need to change it because I look at my friend's got a little girl who's four years old and I am indoctrinating her into feminism like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> um, you know, I buy her t-shirts. The last one was strong, smart and capable of anything. And, you know, I get her these t-shirts. She can't even read them yet, but I'm like, she will have it in front of her. Um, <laughs> because when she grows up, you know, it's going to be another 15 years and she's going to be working. Yeah. And I cannot right now I cannot imagine what it's going to be like 15 years from now in the last 10 years last five years I've seen massive changes in my former industry you know next week I'm going to speak to a law firm who were actively engaged with how do we prevent burnout in our best talent and how do we teach them resilience skills yeah and I'm there thinking god where was this five years ago I would have loved it but it's changing so rapidly that thank goodness yeah, fine. <laughs> finally, in some ways. My very small goal with this podcast, Leah, my very small goal is to um, completely change burnout culture. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's tiny. I mean, you should achieve that by the end of next week, hopefully. I mean, 48 hours is good, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the time frame we're going to do for everything. 48 hours to change the world. Exactly. Leah, I am so <laughs> grateful for this conversation. And the reasons that I think that this conversation in particular was important because there was no bullshit. <laughs> No, I don't know how to do bullshit. I'm, I'm not very good at bullshit myself. And so <laughs> I, I think that this is a conversation that people need to hear because of a couple of things. One of the things that you mentioned, I'm going to share that blog post that you wrote in the show notes because I think it's a good one. And I think that it's necessary for people to read through the whole thing because in this self-help culture that we have created, we have forgotten to actually check in with those selves. Mm find out what that self actually needs. Yeah. And, and what you're saying is, you know, unless we start asking these questions and figuring out who you are and how you function and how to best design your life to create resilience, none of it matters. This the advice around burnout, a lot of it is very specific to the individual and requires a lot of introspection and thought and conversation and help. All of which take time, effort, and yeah, God, we don't like looking at ourselves and realizing we might have done something wrong, do we? We don't. We don't. <laughs> but I think it's very important for all those reasons. So I would like yeah. to just really thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your experience with everyone and you. your mastermind, which I will also share with people, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, and Leah also has a freebie on her website that's called Burnout First Aid that I think everyone should go download. And I will include a <laughs> link to that as well because it's a fantastic um, resource for everyone. So Leah, thank you again so much. That was such a joyful conversation for me. Thank you too. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody. That was my conversation with Leah Steele, our friend joining us from the UK. And she, again, is the founder of Searching for Serenity. And so I will share all of those, all of that information with you in the show notes. And I really would like to encourage you to share this with anyone who you think might need to hear this message today. And we all have at least two friends that need it. I mean, at least. So share it with those people. Let us know what you think. Give us some reviews and we'll talk to you soon. 
Fried fam, you know how much I love keeping it real and sharing true, deep, and dark stories about life and burnout. You also know, if you've been around for a while, that I have never had a quote-unquote real job because I've been an entrepreneur since the day I finished school. And entrepreneurship can be lonely. That's why if you're an entrepreneur or a creative like me, I want you to listen to the Who Made You the Boss podcast with Lindsay Epperly. With deep dives into imposter syndrome, honesty about bank accounts and life drama, and stories about the fallacy of balancing it all, Lindsay and Who Made You the Boss make the world of entrepreneurship more real, more connected, and less lonely. I recommend starting with episode three, all about slowing down for more impact. You can thank me later. Hey, Fried fans, are you ready to beat burnout for good? I want you to join our newsletter for top tips, resources, and as per usual, a touch of humor delivered straight to your inbox. Plus, when you do that, you'll get our core values exercise, which is your secret weapon to kickstart your burnout recovery and then keep it away long term. Don't wait. Head to bit.ly forward slash core values freebie and start feeling better today. That link will also be in the show notes.